All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, and my partner, uh, Chen Lin, is also uh, the uh, writes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling? You can access both of those letters at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, I should mention to you also that the second hour of this show uh, it appears exclusively at jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y taylormedia.com. When you go there, you need to click on the podcast button, and then at 4 o'clock, uh, the second half of today's show will appear there. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it a, a most popular show, one of the most popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to also thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are Caden Resources, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Columbus Gold Corp, Cornerstone Capital, and Well Green Platinum. And I'll be speaking with the Cornerstone Capital CEO uh, in just about 10 minutes or so. Uh, a few minutes from now. The equity markets got a huge boost last week uh, from what David Stockman says is the equivalent of a $3 trillion quantitative easing. And that was obviously a coordinated effort that was orchestrated by the Bank of Japan with the Federal Reserve Bank to counter the announcement that the Fed is discontinuing quantitative easing. It should be obvious to anyone who digs just a little bit under the surface what is really going on in the United States and global economy is something that is, there's something terribly wrong. Uh, and that rather than looking at the U.S. economy, the Fed is really looking after its shareholders, the bankers primarily. And part of that caretaking by the Fed uh, uh, with respect to the bankers has to do with making sure the stock market doesn't tank. And so October 15th, the stock equity market was looking like it was going to uh, hit the skids in a big way. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, a Fed spokesman comes out and starts saying, well, maybe we're not going to taper after all, or maybe we'll put it on a hold and we'll just keep pumping the money in the system, whereupon the stock market abruptly turned higher. And it continued higher in part, as Dr. Robert McHugh has pointed out, to a great extent because there have been some deep pocket buyers. I think the plunge protection team is what Dr. Robert McHugh talks about. Huge amounts of government purchases of uh, in the futures markets to pull the stock market up. That, along with uh, short covering, accounted for a huge part of the 
of the major rise in the equity markets until October 31st when the Bank of Japan came out and made its most unexpected announcement that it was going to not only replace quantitative easing, but according to David Stockman and his appraisal, uh, probably triple uh, quantitative easing in terms of the amount of money that's pumped into the global monetary system. So, so much for the notion that the Fed and the central bankers know how to unwind quantitative easing. They clearly do not know how to do it. With respect to Japan, some people are comparing the Japanese uh, financial system. They're calling it a Japanese monetary Pearl Harbor. And if you start to look at what the situation is like in Japan, it's easy to see how you can draw that conclusion. Japan is now spending about twice as much as it's taking in in taxes. Uh, The budget for next year around 93 trillion yen. 93 trillion yen in the budget. They take in 47 trillion in taxes. So they have to go out and borrow another 43 trillion just to make ends meet. The debt service and social security in Japan are 120% of tax revenues. An astonishing 46% of the government's budget is borrowed money. Though even with near zero interest rates, it's about 1% now on the Japanese bonds, 51% of tax revenues in 2013 were spent on the national debt service. So what is the answer to Japan's problems by the ruling elite? No, you don't change anything. You just keep doing what got you into trouble. Uh, It is sheer insanity. I mean, that's the definition of insanity, continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results. Of course, Japan is a client state of the Anglo-American Empire. We've kept our troops in Japan ever since World War II, just as we have in Europe. So the Bank of Japan had to join in the game of Keynesian deceit. As the Federal Reserve discontinued quantitative easing, the Bank of Japan was told to step in and help cover the mess, cover up the mess, or at least buy some more time for the Federal Reserve and the Keynesian economists that are really driving the world uh, into one heck of a mess. Meantime, according to Kuz Jensen, gold uh, demand outside of the Western economies is continuing to surge, especially in China, where the Chinese are buying so much gold. In fact, uh, in some quarters, more gold than is being being produced by the mines. Not only are the Chinese buying gold, but they're buying real estate around the world. Today in Bloomberg, there was a story about how the Chinese were buying up the Chinese and the Russians combined were, uh, were providing about 90% of the bid on property in Portugal. So the uh, Chinese and the Russians are certainly trying to churn their dollars into something uh, tangible. I think they most certainly see the handwriting on the wall as the Western world has to continue to print more and more money faster and faster just to keep from going over the abyss into a deflationary depression that uh, started to really rear its ugly head during the, um, during the financial crisis of 2008-2009. Uh, with respect to gold, Chen Lin noted on Monday, yesterday, he sent out to his subscribers uh, a note that uh, his sources were suggesting that China was indeed importing huge amounts of physical gold. And uh, also, that sort of jives very well, of course, with what Kuz Jensen has been saying, but it also uh, very much uh, is in sync with what David Jensen 
uh, was noting, and, and David actually pre-recorded him. You can listen to him in the second hour of today's show. David is talking about the huge gold backwardation that is taking place now. Now, it's very unusual for gold to be back in backwardation because there's so much gold above ground supply, but we'll talk about that in the second hour of today's show. But it does basically suggest that there is a rising urgency to take physical uh, delivery of gold especially in China and in Russia and other parts of outside of the Western world. So while, propaganda, while the propaganda machinery of the ruling elite is trying to keep all of us to believe that things are normal and everything is cool, you should really not trust what you're hearing on the major media. Things are not all right. The markets are becoming increasingly, uh, increasingly volatile, I think the equity market is is due for for a major decline. At the same time, the gold markets have been manipulated in the on the downside, without any doubt about that. In my mind, the paper markets, not the physical markets, but the paper markets, which is what you get your gold price from, is I think a hoax. It has really very little to do with reality. So uh, you have to really keep uh, keep. Um, investigating and questioning uh, what you're being told by the mainstream media, I think, without any doubt. Now, not unrelated to, uh, to these markets, of course, are geopolitics. I've titled today's show, Must We Have Another Gold, a Cold War with Russia? Uh, former presidential candidate Dr. Ron Paul will be with me in just about uh, about 20 minutes or so from now. Uh, we're going to talk to him about several topics, one of which is a Swiss gold referendum uh, that's coming to a vote in Switzerland on November 30th. We also want to, of course, try to talk to him about the Ukrainian situation and geopolitics as well. Uh, in just a minute, I'll be talking to Brooke McDonald. Uh, and, and an associate of his, uh, we'll be talking to him a little bit about his company making what looks like a major copper gold discovery in Ecuador, uh, a major porphyry deposit uh, that is yet and is now being delineated, but it looks like it could be extraordinary. And then in the second hour of today's show, um, I'm going to be talking uh, to Marin Katusa. Uh, he has written a book called The Colder War, which is really a fascinating read. He is uh, with the uh, uh, Casey Research, but uh, this book is uh, really very interesting in terms of the rising geopolitical tensions over energy between the United States and Russia. And David Jensen will also talk about the powers behind the throne that are really manipulating the markets, uh, looks like very much for their personal gain, uh, but at the expense of the average American and, and costing Americans and their very lives in some cases in foreign wars. So we've got an awful lot to talk about today, so let's get on to our first commercial break so we can get right back with Brooke McDonald of Cornerstone Capital. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with Brooke McDonald. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 
Production of platinum and palladium is heavily concentrated in South Africa and Russia. Rising costs, labor strife, and ever more challenging underground mining conditions have led to serious and ongoing supply deficits. New sources of PGMs from stable regions are needed to meet the increasing global demand. Well Green Platinum's PGM Nickel Project in Canada's Yukon hosts one of the world's largest concentrations of platinum, palladium, and nickel. Excellent management, favorable jurisdiction, strong supply and demand fundamentals, and near-term catalysts. Visit wellgreenplatinum.com to learn more. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Brooke McDonald. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Cornerstone Capital Resources. And also, I understand, joining us is Yvonne Cripeau, who is the uh, vice president of explorations for Cornerstone Capital. Uh, welcome, uh, Brooke. It's good to talk to you today. Thank you very much, Jay. It's nice to be on the program. Really good to have you with me now. Just to make sure I've got these numbers correct, I've got you about 190 million shares outstanding. Uh, and I saw the stock price earlier today was around five cents. Does that sound right? Uh, yes, it's around five cents. Uh, we were as we we were at uh, nine cents around September 15th. It's it's come off a little bit since then. Well, it's uh, it's been a bludgeoned market to say the least, and uh, the little mining companies are really having a, a struggle these days. But at uh, at the same time, we know, and as a guy who's been around the track many times in the past, that it's uh, times like these when, if you can find the real gems, the companies that really have something going for them, uh, that you can do extremely well. So, what I'd like to do is explore uh, what you have going for you in Ecuador and Chile, primarily Ecuador right now. Now, you uh, are following a prospect. Generator model, uh, I believe, primarily uh, in Ecuador and Chile. How many properties do you have now between those two countries? Uh, we have uh, seven properties. Uh, we have three one hundred percent owned properties in uh, Ecuador: um, Betas Grandes, Bella Maria, and Caña Brava. And we have uh, one. Uh, one 100 percent owned property in Chile, Miocene, and we have one uh, joint venture with uh, Australian AIM-listed uh, Solgold, which is the Cascabel joint venture. That is the one we've gotten all the attention about because of sure. the discovery hole we had uh, earlier this year. 
Uh, and uh, we have a, a joint venture with Newmont in the South, uh, a strategic alliance, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and also the Lion Crucy had a, pro- a project, which is another project with Solgold in the same joint venture. Okay, so the reason you've gotten so much attention on the Cascabel is because you've had some very, very attractive drill holes, to say the least. I mean, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the longest, deepest drill hole that was ever drilled in Ecuador, you guys have drilled. Is that right? That's correct. It's the, it was the, the deepest hard rock uh, diamond drill hole in, in Ecuador in history, uh, and uh, that was our Discovery Hole 5. This, this is a... Uh, this is a property that we took from uh, really a stream sediment sample to fully permitted for drilling with an environmental license uh, in 22 months. Um, the actually the, the deep the deepest hole was was hole seven. We have drilled eight holes. We have assay results back for seven. Uh, the results for hole eight should come back this week, and probably we may have a news release out uh, with those uh, results uh, Monday or Tuesday. Uh, hole seven uh, was one thousand six hundred and seventy two meters mm. uh, which is i think uh, over two and a half times the height of the c n n tower in Toronto yeah. <laughs> three times um, hole five was the discovery hole uh, which returned assays of over thirteen hundred meters at better than six tenths of a percent copper and better than half a gram per ton gold with uh, an included intercept of almost 600 meters at around 1% copper and 1%, 1 gram per ton gold. Mm-hmm. Um, hole 7 uh, was almost a kilometer of uh, about half a gram per ton, uh, per, per half a gram percent uh, copper equivalent, about uh, uh, four-tenths of a percent copper and the rest uh, gold. Yeah, well, for people who follow the mining industry, these are phenomenal holes, to say the least. I, and you've had others as well. And I, I would like uh, maybe to to take uh, to perhaps just ask Yvonne um, uh, a little bit about the dimensions uh, based on on the holes that have been drilled so far. Could could he possibly give us an idea of what the dimensions of the mineralization? Uh, are at this point in time, uh, and I don't know if it's possible yet, probably not enough drill holes and enough data points yet to determine what average grades are, but could, uh, could uh, Yvonne talk about that perhaps? Uh, hello, Jay. Okay, yes, yeah, we, we can talk about it, okay, but there's limitations. There are some limitations in what we we can say. Sure. Unfortunately, there are there are no there are insufficient data points, okay, to uh, to even guess the dimension of a possible resource. Okay, we need to do some some more drilling. Like uh, Brooke just said, okay, we we now have eight drill holes on, the, on on this target. Okay, we have as results for the the first seventh hole, and. Uh, uh, it the the intersections okay uh, we're in the range okay in between 0.5 and one uh, percent okay copper in all over five okay uh, mm-hmm. seven in the range of 0.5 percent copper okay and mm-hmm. uh, it, at, at this stage you know we just cannot say okay uh, what could be a possible resource that that should be done okay that could be done okay. Uh, if we keep drilling the area, okay, another maybe 10, 15 holes, okay, maybe uh, 12 to 18 months from now, okay, there, there should be sufficient information, okay, to make a resource calculation, a resource estimate. Yep. Yeah. 
Well, so 12 to 18 months is uh, sort of the time frame that you're looking at. What about uh, metallurgy? Have there, has there been any metallurgical work done so far on, the, on this material? Yeah, there has been some metallurgical work and preliminary work, of course, okay, and uh, everything was, was very clean, okay. Uh, this is very encouraging. We're going to need to do so, some, more, some more work, of course, okay, but uh, first uh, results, okay, indicate that, uh, this is uh, metallurgy. There, there's no okay major problem. Okay, metallurgy. Everything looks very good at this stage. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit about the infrastructure uh, at the Cascabel? Yeah, the Cascabel. Okay, uh, people okay may think that Ecuador is in the middle of nowhere. Okay, which is not the case. Okay, uh, the Ecuador government okay in, invested you know several billions of dollars the last seven seven years. Okay, uh, building uh, new infrastructures regarding Cascabel. Okay, uh, this property okay can be reached okay by six lane and four lane highways okay from Quito to Ibarra. The capital city of the province, okay, and then from Ibarra to Cascabel, okay, so is first, uh, this is a, a, a paved road directly onto the project, okay. Uh, there are some powers, there are eight hydropower, okay, plants being, Ooh, that's uh, good. being, mm-hmm. being built now, okay, they're gonna be in, in operation in two, in 2017, okay, Ecuador will be an exporter of electricity, okay, by then. Mm. Uh, there's a, a major port, okay, called uh, in the city of Esmeraldas. This is about 200 kilometers from Cascabel, downhill. Okay, downhill is important because, you know, when you're talking about transporting your concentrates, okay, this is from the property to, sure. uh, to, to the shore, okay. It's, uh, this, is, uh, this is good. There's an, an international airport at Esmeraldas as well, okay. Uh, and what I can say maybe, okay, uh, about uh, drilling the, the property itself, okay, uh, we're drilling the Alpala target, okay, this is the most, okay, advanced okay, target we have, but not the only one target, they have about four, five, six other targets that needs to be drill tested, okay, the property yeah. is 50 square kilometers, okay, there's oh. room, okay, for uh, multiple ore bodies. Oh, for sure. So this Cascabel, the, 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 you have one discovery there, but there's, uh, I think, several other porphyry targets there, right? And uh, another mineral target of, of, of some sort there. Exactly. Okay, we yeah. do have several okay, porphyry targets, and we, we do have okay, an epidermal target uh, as well. Yeah. Um, just wondering if uh, Brooke could join me again uh, to uh, have a question about um, to do with the partners and, and some business questions. Uh, uh, Brooke, are you there? Yes, I'm back, Jay. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, when I ask you uh, with respect to your, your partner um, on this Cascabel project, uh, the Australian partner, talk to us a little bit about them. Are, are they well-funded, uh, and what is the arrangement that you have with them? What do they have to spend to earn how much of the project? Well, they, they have earned uh, an 85% interest in the project. We have a, uh, a 15% interest, but we are financed all the way through a bankable feasibility study. So oh, they, good. they are funding okay. 100% of the expiration. So although it's a, a 15% interest, uh, it is completely financed by the other partner. And if, if uh, Cascavel turns out to be as large and as rich as we think it may be, uh, because the the alteration footprint at surface is uh, is uh, similar in size to some of the uh, the, the large uh, uh, copper porphyry deposits in the world, like Tujibukut in Indonesia. Um, then uh, you know we think we have a, a, a something that could add quite a bit of uh, uh, market cap to the company in the coming years. 
Um, Sal Gold is headed up by an Australian geologist named uh, Nick Mather, who is the chairman of the company. And uh, uh, Nick Mather has been involved in uh, some other projects before. Uh, he has been uh, quite successful, I'm told, uh, and he seems to have uh, a deep network of contacts in London. Um, they will have to go back to the market at some point to raise additional money, and uh, we're really not, uh, you know, privy to those to, to that kind sure. of information at this point because they're keeping it kind of close to their chest. Uh, sure. Being on AIM, they only have to release their their annual financial information uh, like six months. Uh, we have to release ours quarterly, as you know, on the TSXB. Sure. sure. But I have right. every every confidence that uh, the management team at Salgold will be able to raise whatever's necessary, especially with these results, mm-hmm. uh, to continue well, the drilling. Well, I really like that idea that you don't have to go out and raise money uh, to keep your 15%, because 15% of something that could be very, very large could be very, very meaningful for a company that's selling at $0.05 cents a share right now. But I want to ask you, when the only uh, a couple of minutes left here yet, you have a lot of other properties, too. I, I want to ask you, first of all, how, uh, how is the Cornerstone uh, Treasury right now? Uh, we, at, at June 30th, which is the last published information uh, uh, we had um, about four point two million in treasury, which it concluded about a half a million dollars worth of shares. I would say now we probably have about three point two million in cash and another half a million dollars in shares we're we're uh, at our uh, rates being careful with the money and uh, you know having Cascabel funded by the partner. I think we're in good shape for another two years before we need to go back to the market. Okay, that's good to know because this is a horrible market to go back to try to raise capital in. Could you talk to us within the last minute or so that we have here? Just give us an overview of some of the other properties. Are there any others that you're really sort of keen to do at least a little bit of work uh, if, uh, uh, while you try to preserve capital? Yeah, um, we have a, a, an epithermal uh, uh, gold-silver deposit called Vetus Grandes, which is about uh, 12, 12 or 14 kilometers west of the, the old IM Gold uh, Kimsakocha deposit. Um, that is one that we are uh, currently doing a stakeholder map in order to complete community uh, consultations, which is a condition to receiving an environmental license, which gives you the right to drill. Uh, we, we believe that... Uh, uh, that that property could contain upwards of a million ounces of gold in an epithermal setting. Uh, it has some um, very high uh, uh, bonanza-type grades at surface. And um, we also have uh, two other properties. One is Bay Maria, which is, uh, shows excellent potential to host uh, significant porphyry and uh, uh, structurally controlled gold and copper mineralization. Uh, and another property called Canya Brava, uh, which hosts two large uh, epithermal gold-silver zones. But before we go, I'd just like to say one thing uh, for the audience, Jay, because I know that mm-hmm. Ecuador has gotten a bad rap in, in the past years because of the mining moratorium in uh, sure. five years ago. Uh, I think people should be aware that in the, in the past year, you've had two people that, that have, uh, uh, have had a lot of success as, as first movers into places uh, um, where it has been a little difficult to operate, and one is uh, Vancouver mining promoter Ross Beatty, who earlier this year bought most of the shares of Odin Mining, 
and they have the Greater Cangrejos uh, Gold property right next to our Bay of Maria property. And most recently in the last month, uh, the Lundin Group through Fortress Metals acquired the Fruta del Norte project from Kinross. And, um, and the other thing, the last point I'd like to make is that uh, earlier this year, the, the government, uh, President Rafael Correa, acknowledged publicly that uh, the government had gotten it wrong, that they had, uh, uh, they had not understood properly uh, how the rules should be in order to make the sector competitive, and that they had hired uh, the international consulting company Wood McKenzie to make recommendations. Wood McKenzie compared Ecuador's total tax take uh, with uh, a comparative group of five countries, Mexico, Chile, Peru, Colombia, and Brazil. And uh, Ecuador came out with a higher tax take. They've made detailed recommendations to the government on how to bring that down. There are also other uh, operating advantages in Ecuador, such as there's plenty of water in Ecuador, unlike Chile, uh, where some place you have to pipe it in. Uh, there is also um, excellent infrastructure and uh, the cost of power uh, is about $0.06 cents a kilowatt hour, and there's some discussion of lowering it to $0.04 cents a kilowatt hour for mining companies. And we don't mm-hmm. know where all the dust is going to settle yet on the, the, um, uh, the mining rules, but uh, it's likely that the Ecuadorian government will make a roll out of those rules uh, probably in time for the PDAC convention in Toronto. So we well, think Ecuador is uh... a turnaround situation, and uh, we think people should take another look at it. Yeah, well, that that is uh, very encouraging to hear the likes of the Lundin family and uh, Ross Speedy going down there for sure. Uh, I think they uh, they must have some confidence. They're really smart mining guys, uh, so I, I think that's very good news. I'm glad you brought that up. The uh, the political uh, situation is always of of major concern, of course, to uh, uh, in any country you're operating in. So I want to thank you very much. Uh, sorry, we're out of time. We could go on, but we'll have to do it again sometime in the near future. Well, thank you very thank much. You very for much uh, for being with me today, and thanks also uh, to your colleague Ivan. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to go to commercial break now. But when we come back, we have a special treat today. Dr. Ron Paul, presidential candidate uh, and former congressman, Ron Paul, will be with us right after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TL. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again former Congressman Ron Paul, a medical doctor uh, and also a presidential candidate. Welcome, Ron. It's really good to have you with me again. Thank you, Jay. Nice to be with you. It's really good to have you with me. You know, I don't need to uh, – there's no need to tell people who you are. You're very well known. And, of course, there was a time when that wasn't as true as it is now. I can remember there was a time when you actually called me uh, in my home in Queens, New York City, and my wife said to me, what is an important guy like that doing calling us here in Queens? And I said, well, I think Dr. Paul just wanted to find somebody else he could talk to who sort of appreciated free market and Austrian economics. Uh, and, uh, and I think those were days 15, 20 years ago when you had a lot fewer people uh, than you do today who, uh, who understand Austrian economics, understand the importance of, of uh, sound money and, and um, free markets in terms of our individual liberties and freedoms. Would you agree with that? There's, there's no doubt about it. There was a dramatic change. I always worked on the assumption that probably not too many people would ever know my name because, you know, I really wasn't fitting into Washington, and Washington is still a place where you don't have people seriously thinking about the kind of problems that we talk about, you know, monetary reform and a different mm-hmm. foreign policy and all these things. So my, my goal was always to, you know, take an oath, believe it, follow it, and vote that way and see if people would still elect you. <laughs> you know, that was sort of a <laughs> curiosity thing for me. And uh, I would go out. I went to the college frequently, you know, over the years. I was in and out of Congress since 1976, but mm-hmm. I always enjoyed going to the campuses. But I'd get 15 or 20 on a large campus, and that would just be a small club. Uh-huh. Uh, but something dramatically changed. Uh, you know, first it was getting in the presidential race. Uh, second, it was the crisis, the uh, economic crisis that we had. And the third thing that I think uh, helped uh, get some interest in what we've been doing was the Internet. You know, a lot of spreading of information there. And all of a sudden, there was a different opinion and the People know about the Fed now like they've never known before, and we've had a couple votes on audit the Fed and won them overwhelmingly with Republicans and Democrats. So I I think we've helped a bit in targeting the real culprit, and of course I've been blaming the Fed for a long time for uh, many, if not most, of all our problems uh, uh, in, in the economy. Well, the people that I know that were closest to you when you were a congressman, my friend Jeff Deist and, of course, Daniel McAdams, who I talk to almost every week here on this show, uh, they tell me that you're a very happy man, that you're probably your happiest, that you're having a really enjoying your post-Washington days and you're able to go out and uh, do what you've always done in a very efficient manner, and that is educate people. Um, you're really enjoying life now, I think. Is that right? Yeah, 
there's no doubt about it. I have a had a speech to give to an organization up in Dallas the other day, but they had given some scholarships out to about six or seven different colleges, so they had about 70 college kids uh, among the 400. But they asked me to stay around and talk to those young people for another 45 minutes, and they got to ask a lot of questions. And it was. It was truly enjoyable. They, they weren't all, you know, fully informed, but they were all curious, asking good questions, wanting to know what was going on and realize that there were problems. So, yes, I really enjoyed that. It was very relaxed. So when I get the opportunity, I uh, still like to go to the campus. I believe that it's uh, educating a whole generation of individuals if we expect to have any changes. You know, Keynesianism didn't just pop out of the sky. It's been around a long time, and central Mm banking has been around for a long time, and people get indoctrinated. So in many ways, that's what uh, we have to do. We have to teach uh, a lot of people why the market's important, why monetary policy is important, and how that ties into the cause of individual liberty. And, of course, I tie that in with the cause of peace because uh, they come together. The founders understood it, but for some reason we've drifted a long way from the intentions that uh, uh, they had in writing the Constitution. You know, uh, your organization, uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, as I mentioned, we talked to Daniel McAdams frequently on this show. Daniel is, I would say, down in the weeds. He seems to really understand what's going on in various countries and is able to talk to those issues in a way uh, in many times 180 degrees different than what you hear in the mainstream media. Um, but one of the things, one good friend of mine who's on this show a lot named David Jensen from Vancouver uh, questioned me the other day. David is very much in, in line with my thinking and my desires for uh, peace and prosperity, the, the goals of your uh, Peace and Prosperity Institute. Uh, but David made the point, uh, he says, why do, you, why do you focus so much on uh, global politics and geopolitics and what the United States military is doing around the world, David's idea was just cut to the chase, go to the source. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the dishonest monetary system that we have that enables all of that to happen. If you would just simply go back and teach people the importance of uh, of sound money, then you could eliminate the the other problem of the extravagant military excursions all around the world. Uh, so his idea was just just focus on that and don't worry about. It. He says if you uh, if you try to tell Americans they shouldn't be overseas with their military and all that, they you know they're they're used to that. They wave the flag. Mm-hmm. They think they're being good Americans uh, by by going overseas and defending America. But how would you answer that uh, that I, I would say well intended criticism from my friend David, who thinks that maybe we're just wasting time talking about peace and prosperity? Well. I, I think you have to be concerned about both. The, the people who want to spend the money and they get involved in the other thing, uh, the Fed. And quite frequently, I brought this subject up with the Federal Reserve Board Chairman, and I called them the facilitators. They facilitate it. They monetize the debt. If you wouldn't do it, the Congress couldn't spend the money. Interest rates would go up, and you could you know, check the size of government. This came up with Greenspan. Matter of fact, Greenspan just recently, once again, talked about that. You know, why somebody asked him, why don't you just quit printing the money and this would call this to a halt? He says, no, the Congress spends the money and uh, they run up the debt and we have nothing we can say about it because otherwise it'll cause, you know, a crisis. If we just allow these interest rates to go up, it'll, it'll crash mm-hmm. the, the economy. So this goes back and forth. But all, all um, chairmen of the Federal Reserve have always argued with me 
that it's the Congress's fault, and Congress uh, pretends they don't know that they're in collusion with the Federal Reserve. But I think they have to go hand in hand. I, I claim for real uh, reform, you have to have a, a, a people understanding what the role of government ought to be. If the role of government is to police the world, and run a welfare state, and take care of, of rich beneficiaries, and that the banks should be a central economic planner, now you have to have all that. But if you decide the government is to have a limited role, like the founders did, and no central bank, then you don't even have to come up with this argument. But uh, no, they, they work hand in glove. They work, they work together. The uh, Congress, they might not understand the Fed, and they might not pay too much attention, but somehow or another, they know it doesn't matter. You print the money. I, I always have found fault with the supply-siders. You know, they're good conservatives. They want low taxes, but they also said, don't take the political heat of cutting spending, and don't worry about the deficit. So you had the Keynesians and the supply-siders saying, don't worry about the deficit. The Fed will take care of it. So, but but uh, I think people have to believe in the cause of liberty. And, and the one reason why I would argue, if, if, if I just argued the case, well, don't have this foreign policy. This, this would be helpful. These foreign, this foreign policy and these foreign wars set the stage for an attack on our civil liberties at home. In, in a war, under wartime conditions, they always get away with uh, trampling on civil liberties. You know, in World War II, World War I, they would do it. But then they'd reverse it. But now, you we're in this for a long time, so you're going to have TSA and NSA, and, and uh, you're going to have the Patriot Act and everything else. So it's all together. It's really the cause of liberty you have to look at. And when you come up with the right one, you'll have a decent foreign policy. You'd have a different monetary policy, and you wouldn't have a welfare state. So it all comes together. So you have also, uh, I would think that you know people on the left side of the political spectrum are with you more so on the geopolitical side of uh, of what you believe, and people on the Republican side or the more conservative side on economics like that part of you, but they don't like the other side, right. uh, the geopolitics. How do you? I mean, it's an educational process, isn't it? But how do you get people to understand, uh, and how do you bring these two groups together? Well, slowly <laughs> and over over a period of time, there's no doubt about it. But the young people I talk to when I get in the conversation, they say, they say, you know, that makes sense. That's just this common sense that that's the case. Liberty should be personal liberty. It should be economic liberty. And there's no reason why we have to be in, involved overseas. So. The biggest problem I face is, you know, what you stated is true, and that is a perception. You know, Democrats would believe in this, and Republicans would believe in this. But Republicans are lousy on balancing the budget. I mean, they haven't yeah. done a good job when they had a chance. But the progressive Democrats, you know, when Bush was in, if you ran into a progressive, uh, many in the, in the Congress, as well, especially in the media, you know, oh, they love to have me on because they could bash Bush. Uh-huh. Then, it's, but it becomes so partisan and narrow-minded. They get, you know, the member of Congress that might have been voting against these war, Bush wars, but not against Obama's wars. Yeah. And, uh, and now these um, liberal hosts on TV who might have 
given me, uh, you know, a, a slight recognition on the policy. Oh, no, it's, it's terrible. Now it's Obama, so that's okay. It's, it's this uh, lack of integrity. Uh, they're demagogues, and they're partisan, and it's an issue of power rather than uh, sticking to their guns and believing something. But I come across the decent ones. I, somebody I worked with for years is somebody like a Dennis McCassinich. He, uh, mm-hmm. He's a principled progressive. We disagree on economics and some other things, but he, he believes in the civil liberties that I do and also uh, in the foreign policy. Matter of fact, and he stood with me on the Federal Reserve, so I thought that was very good. Mm-hmm. And he also is involved, I think, with the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Right. He, he and, is. He's on the board there, and uh, he and I have remained good friends. Uh, Ron, you know, very recently you had a birthday, and uh, you made a note that, you know, you have basically everything you need, so you're not really uh, looking for birthday presents. But you said if people really wanted to give you a birthday present, they could do it by donating to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Are you still accepting that as a birthday gift if people want to... Absolutely, because that's our our newest organization. We have several, and um, raising money in campaigns seems to be easier than pure educational. But it's doing very well. Uh, Daniel has been just great. He was the uh, advisor for me and the researcher when I was in Congress, and uh, he was very anxious at continuing to work on this and work together. So it was his idea to come up with this. But, you know, it always it always takes funding, and I've never been one that's been very good at just getting on the phone and saying, <laughs> hey, can you send me some money? But uh, it's, uh, it's what is necessary uh, because you you can't do much without the money, and yeah. uh, so therefore, the, uh, we're, we're open to uh, any of those generous souls out there would like to see us continue with that work. Well, I know that you make money go a long ways, and I, I, I've heard stories when you were a congressman that uh, some of your staff members were, well, they were they were asked to work hard, actually to put in a day's work for what they got paid, and uh, you actually sent money back to the taxpayers as a principle, I guess, as an idea uh, to show that you were sincere about uh, what you were doing. So that's appreciated, and I know Daniel works extreme, extremely hard, and I know that the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity makes makes money go as far as anybody can. So I, I'm very appreciative of that. I've donated a small amount, and I'm I'm very pleased because I think people need to know the truth about what's going on. What what we see on the surface and what is in the mainstream media so far many times is a hundred and hundred and eighty degrees different from reality, right? Isn't it? Isn't well, it the, absolutely? And you know when it's the worst leading up to an election. If you you know like whoever's in the administration usually can fudge figures. You know we see the figures fudged in all the time anyway. You know about CPIs and economic growth. Yeah. I think when they lead up to an election, uh, there's more distortion, and then there's the adjustments afterwards. But, you know, this time around, even when the positive stuff comes out, they're having a harder time, uh, you, you know, deceiving a, a lot of people because there are so many people who aren't enjoying the prosperity that the few are. I mean, tremendous yes. prosperity in this country, but it's for a small group. Uh, I, I imagine it's uh, 10% at most, but they have tremendous wealth, and there's so many others so when the government tells the people everything is uh, rosy, why is it that you and I can still talk to people and get an audience and say, you know, you're right, you're right, there is a problem. And mm-hmm. right now that's the message that I give to the young people. And I, I talk to them about getting out of college, and they have 
twenty, fifty, hundred thousand dollars worth of bills, and they have a degree, and they can't get a decent job, and uh, people aren't uh, right now. The demographics are that young people are staying at home; they're not getting married as much, they're not buying houses. So all these housing statistics are probably all falsified as well. Uh, so. It, it is a constant battle. That's why uh, John Williams' uh, shadow stats are important to all of us, to find out a little bit about what the truth is. Yeah, and that's on the economy. But, I mean, uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity attacks uh, the truth in, in geopolitically, too, which is, you know, the, the flag-waving um, oh, yeah. <laughs> mantra of the Republicans. And so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me, truth is what is uh, what needs right. to be known. But getting back to this whole issue of having – uh, of wanting what should the role of government be, Ron, is to me is is the issue. Of course, it is the issue. Uh, and if we had a gold standard, of course, that would be reined in. It couldn't go run amok as it has in both domestic and foreign policy. But how do you get the people to see that? Because it seems to me now, somebody said that with the demographics going the way they are, that more people are now voting for a living in America than working for a living. And now you have people like yours truly. I have started taking Social Security. I'm 67 years of age. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I've paid into it all my life. I don't want to see that taken away from me. So it seems to me that what the government has done is has sucked us into the system to such an extent that almost there's, there's very few people that really, first of all, understand the connection between freedom and liberty and, and limited government. Number one, people don't even understand. They don't make that association. But number two is that everybody seems to be sucked into the system, more or less. So how do we break out of that? Well, it is a philosophic argument, and you have to change people's minds. And as this system continues to fail, it's going to get easier and easier. Yeah. It was much easier after the economic crisis of, of 20, 2008. It was much easier for me to get their attention on the Federal Reserve than ever before. So mm-hmm. as it fails, and, and you know, uh, I can't believe there are very many Americans left uh, that think that, oh, yeah, this started another war, you know, after mm-hmm. the failure of Iraq and the failure of Afghanistan, uh, then they go going in that, in that, into Syria and starting another war. But part of this question about asking about what the role of government ought to be, I think where people go wrong on it, because you hear it all the time, that uh, the role of government is make me safe, to take care of me, uh, make oh. sure I, there's a safety net. And also, like after 9-11, the government has to make me safe. And I'll bet you saw the articles that came out. And recently, there was one out about why the government has to take over the whole world concerned about infectious diseases because it is the job of the government to make me safe. <laughs> and uh, the, if you're going to give a, a job to the government, is to protect our liberties. And uh, there's a lot of responsibility on other people other than the federal government to make us make us safe. Uh, I tell people we're not safe because we have a policeman outside our every house to protect us. Uh, it's usually because there's still a remnant of the Second Amendment around that makes mm-hmm. most people safe. So, uh, no, uh, that, that has to be challenged, and it will be further challenged when the bankruptcy comes because that's what brought the Soviet system down. Finally, they just ran out of money, and they had, okay, go your own way, secession occurred, and it was the disintegration of the Soviet Union, and we will come home. I told people in the campaign that they won't bring the troops home because of what I'm talking about. I won't convince enough, but we'll come home when we will no longer be able to afford it, and that's when uh, 
a philosophy of sound money and personal liberty uh, should thrive. Mm-hmm. So do you think we're really following in many ways, you know, the, the Keynesians just think we need to have animal spirits. We don't need to have ba- good balance sheets. We can just have animal spirits. Uh, is that, are we following the same sort of Soviet model in a way? And in some well, ways it seems uh, like we are. Yeah, we're, because, um, if we weren't, the argument would be because, you know, recently we've seen a tremendous boost in the dollar and, and people are claiming things are pretty good, especially for us. We're better off than uh, the, the rest of the, the, the countries. But uh, we, we, can't, uh, we can't do this. If this, would, if this truly works, that you can create wealth out of a printing press or out of a computer, and that the dollar will remain almighty forever, why, why should anybody worry? Why should you have to worry about Social Security or anybody has to worry? Because we'll just print the money. Yeah. Uh, but but there's, there's a knowledge that we know there has to be a limit to this, uh, but it's the gross distortion and debt. You know, they're bragging now. They say the deficit's down a bit this year, but we know that the national debt, when you, kind of, when you measure all the borrowing against the next generation in the trust funds, the, the national debt went up over a trillion dollars, and they're, they're saying this is a wonderful breakthrough. You know, it's there's incredible. a wonderful recovery. The national debt only went up one trillion dollars this year. <laughs> So uh, someday reality will set in. I don't think it's going to be uh, this week. Maybe there'll be euphoria over the election, and everybody will think, oh, yeah, now the Republicans will save us. Everything's all right again. Well, I'm sure the, the mainstream will try to paint it that way, but I have to ask you because one of the issues that's very, very interesting to me, and I, I think it probably is to you, is a, a referendum that's coming up in Switzerland. The Swiss people, uh, speaking of a military and, and defense, uh, Richard Mayberry pointed out that the Swiss defense system is the best one there is, where everybody is armed, essentially, and uh, the Nazis and nobody really felt comfortable marching into Switzerland because uh, they would have to take on every house. Uh, every household, rather than the Roman sort of defense system that we've adopted, where we go around the world as a superpower and basically try to assert ourselves and and change governments and so on and so forth. But the Swiss also have a tradition, not only uh, defense-wise, but also of sound money. And there is a fair number of people, and we had a guest on with us last week that talked about this, Uh, there is the Swiss referendum uh, that would require the Swiss to have 20% of their bank assets backed by gold. They weren't allowed to sell any more gold or export any gold. Uh, they would need to go out and bring in another 1,500 tons of gold over five years to make their balance sheet complete. Now, the last poll showed 45% of the Swiss people in favor, 39% opposed, 17% undecided. Have you uh, any any sense of what uh, this might mean if it were to pass? Or Have you kept up with that at all, the Swiss? Yes, I I think I think it's great, and I've been watching it. Uh, I I'm sort of a little bit uh, disturbed because I think it could pass if there's an honest election. You know, when the Europeans were voting to on the euro and the European Union, the people generally the statistics show they weren't interested in, but they always get these things passed. And I was disappointed, of course, when the Swiss uh, started joining the international organization and dumping their gold and playing mm-hmm. those games. But no, I, but I still think this is just great, and I just hope that it passes. It would have great significance, even if it takes a while for the transition. This would send a message, and 
And I think the most important thing is for them to demand that they hold their gold in their country. I think the Germans are wimps because they backed off because uh, our Federal Reserve turned them down. Oh, well, we'll maybe give you your, your gold back in seven years. I think all countries should hold their own gold and move in that direction. So I think it's very, very important. I worry about the fact that, uh, you know, on a close election, what they'll do because it is the interest of central banking that this thing goes down. And that would mean our central banks and all the financial people of the world and all the central banks, they don't want this to pass. They wanted to destroy uh, the restraints that pl- are placed on governments, you know, with a gold standard. And that's why it was totally undermined. Uh, it took a hundred years to do that. I'm hoping uh, it doesn't take us a hundred years to uh, replace it. But but the crisis will come and it'll move quickly. And I think this is a great sign that uh, people are thinking in these terms and they're having this referendum. Ron, we have about one minute left. I want to ask you a question and give you 30 seconds to answer it. Uh, the, the biggest threat to the United States, Mitt Romney said it was uh, Putin, and uh, Obama just laughed at it. Should Obama have laughed? And if you were in uh, Mitt Romney's position, what would have you answered? Well, I would say the biggest threat to our safety and security on the national stage is our own government, our foreign policy of interventionism, that we have done exactly opposite of the founders, uh, what they wanted. We have, uh, we believe we should be the policemen of the world. We believe we should be involved in the internal affairs of other nations, and that we're involved in too many entangling alliances. And I like the idea that we would have friendship with uh, nations and work for peace and uh, and commerce and that is free trade and we don't have that so our greatest threat is our is our own policies and when we get overly involved and people suffer the consequences uh, uh, from our bombs dropping on them that indeed it will create blowback and it will come back to haunt us and right now this whole mess that we have in ukraine is the fact that uh, the west the united states and the europeans uh, decided that uh, an elected leader had to be thrown out of office, so once again we were involved with a coup and threw him out of office and created chaos uh, over there, and yet right now it is said that, well, it's all Putin's fault. Well, yeah. Putin is probably not an angel, but I'll tell you what, I think our position should have been that we shouldn't be out over there provoking people for, in this manner. Yeah, no doubt about it. It sounds to me like it might be the enemy from within rather than the enemy from without. Ron, we're out of time. It goes so fast. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And all the best to you and and the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and all your endeavors uh, towards that end. Thank you very much for being with us again. Thank you, Jay. Nice to be with you. Well, that's all the time we have for the first hour. But, folks, we will be back. Uh, Go to Jay Taylor Media. Click on, uh, go there right away, and you can hear Martin Katusa, who's going to talk about Putin's Russia energy and a host of other issues. And David Jensen will be there as well to provide his, his insights into the precious metals markets. See you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. 